0: I just want to say welcome to y'all. I'm Zach, one of the pastors here, and if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We are working through the book of Matthew, and uh, we're starting at chapter 4, verse 12 today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to uh, Matthew 4, starting in verse 12, and Hannah's going to come and read our text for us this morning. All right, this is a reading from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. This is what the Holy Scripture says. Now, when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, and the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles... The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is God's word given for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for how you promised to be with us. Thank you so much for the fact that you Um, are working in us to do your perfect will as we submit to you, as we listen to you with soft hearts. God, I pray that that would be the case this morning, that we would listen with soft hearts, ready to receive, viewing your word to us as a gift. And so would you help me as I speak? Lord, may you give me the words that you desire to be spoken. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's review where we were last week very briefly. Last week we talked about Matthew 3 and Matthew 4, the first part of Matthew 4. And in Matthew 3, there's this event where God the Father speaks over God the Son and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And it's a massive statement about the identity of Jesus. It's a settled deal. God the Father spoke it done deal we know who Jesus is this is God's son so the 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 application would be listen follow right well the identity is a settled done deal spoken by God the father but Satan hates that and in chapter four we saw last week that Satan when he comes to tempt Jesus to, to get him off track from his mission what does he do he attacks Jesus at the level of his identity And God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Satan just, you know, he's not super aggressive. It's just subtle questions. Seemingly innocuous, right? And he just says, well, if you are the Son of God, just a little sowing seeds of doubt, right? Just planting some seeds of doubt. Jesus triumphs over Satan with the word of God as the sword of the Spirit. And he responds every time to the challenges of the enemy with God's word that he knows. And he wins, at least in that moment. And that takes us now to where we are today, our text today, starting in verse 12. And let's look at what it says. Now, when he, being Jesus, now when Jesus heard that John, this is John the Baptist, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, He withdrew into Galilee. Okay, so let me just give you a little background here. John is arrested, and we're going to hear about that in a few chapters, um, what all went down there. But we see that Jesus has a response to John being arrested. He withdrew into Galilee. And we're going to learn in a second that this is the beginning of Jesus' official ministry. Okay. So the question would be, why would Jesus start his official ministry in the region of Galilee when he'd heard that John had been arrested? Well, the answer is that John, as a, 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 the Baptist, he said about himself that he was a forerunner to Jesus. He was a herald. He was a voice calling out in the wilderness. Kind of like uh, someone standing on the street corner and, and saying, hear ye, hear ye. Like there's an announcement That's what John the Baptist was like. He came to announce that the Messiah is coming. And now that the Messiah had come, the identity is settled, Uh, the temptation, victory over Satan. Jesus now is ready to start his official ministry. And so that which John was pointing to has arrived. So in some sense, John's ministry now is over. And Jesus' ministry is beginning. That's what we're going to see here now. So... What we're going to learn this morning is very simple when it comes to Jesus starting his ministry. And it's going to be three things. Number one, we're going to see that Jesus goes headfirst into the darkness. Number two, he's going to make an announcement about the king and his kingdom. And and thirdly, he's going to call for a response. And the response is to turn from sin and turn to King Jesus. So we're going to see that Jesus goes headfirst into the darkness. Number two... That he's going to tell them about the true king in his kingdom. And this announcement is going to demand a response. The response is repent and believe. Turn and trust in King Jesus. So as we see here in verse 12, this is the formal beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And if you're thinking about what you like, what would Jesus do? Where would he go? What would he say? Who's he going to hang out with? Like, what, What's the first thing that comes to mind? What do you think he would do? Well, let's review the text and and read it again. So leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Nephali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So he's got Isaiah on the mind. This is a quote from the prophet Isaiah spoken 700 years or so before this. The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Of the Gentiles, that's important. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So for us to understand what's going on here, when it, when it, when it comes to Jesus' beginning of his official earthly ministry, we got to know some geography we got to know some history. So let me just show you a couple things here, geographically and historically. Just to kind of set the stage, this kind of helps me. This will kind of help this make sense when we talk about the history. Taylor, you can go that first map. Just to kind of set the context here, the wide angle lens here. we got Egypt and Jordan and Syria. And you can see the nation of um, Israel right there where the arrow is pointing, okay? Red Sea, Mediterranean Sea on the top. And the second... So this is zoomed in a little bit more, mainly on the nation of Israel. You can see Jerusalem there at the south. Nazareth circled there. That's where Jesus was from. And then the other circle toward the top is the Sea of Galilee. And that's the region where, where uh, Jesus is heading, okay? And then the last one. This is a close-up on the Sea of Galilee. And the top circle is Capernaum. And that's where the Bible says that Jesus went, Okay? This is the north side of the nation of Israel. And down below where the arrow is, you can't see it. It's so tiny. It gives you some perspective on how big the Sea of Galilee is. Tiny little river. That's the River Jordan down there. And that's where Jesus was baptized. That's where Matthew chapter 3 takes place. Okay? So we're in the north. Go back to that second slide, Taylor, the second map. We're in the northern part now of the country of Israel. And that's important because of this. We learn... Um, If we study Old Testament history, we know that God's people were called to be what the New Testament would say is like a city on a hill. The Old Testament people were called to be a light to people that didn't know God. The Old Testament people were saved out of Egypt. God gathered them to himself and he said, I'm going to save you. And in light of your salvation, I want you to live a certain way. So that the whole world can be blessed by seeing what a nation who loves Yahweh looks like. What does that look like? What does the kingdom of God on earth look like? And that was ancient Israel's, the people that lived here in this country, that was their Old Testament calling in a nutshell. Let the, that, that, that's the blessing of, of the nations that Abraham was called to, to, to raise up and be the initiator of. You're going to be a blessing to every nation of the world. And you're going to do it through being saved by me, listening to my voice, and following me. Okay? The problem is this. They failed over and over and over again. You, if you ever read the Old Testament prophets, that's the majority of what they say is turn away from idols. Return to God Return to Yahweh. Return to the true God of all the universe. These idols can't save you. They're worthless. You made them with your own hands. Return to your Savior. Well, eventually it reached a, a it, there, there became a, a breaking point. And God is long-suffering. Yahweh is, is uh, slow to anger, full of loving kindness. That's how he identifies himself. But there was a point where wrath was the only Appropriate response for their wickedness, and so in seven hundred twenty-two, seven hundred twenty-two BC, seven hundred years before this took place, something cataclysmic in the storyline of the Bible happened, and that's where God raises up foreign armies to judge His chosen people. This is called the exile, and the Assyrians came in in the north side of Jerusalem or of uh, of um, of Israel. In 722, they came in from the north and they conquered the northern kingdoms, okay? And when a people would conquer other people uh, in this day and age, typically what they would do is they would export, like exile, take people out of the land that they're familiar with, and then they would import their own people. So the Assyrians would have imported people that then lived then for many centuries in the northern part of Israel. You with me? So what do you think would happen to the religious climate then? It would be greatly watered down. Uh, the, 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 The belief in God was probably either extinguished or completely watered down. And this is now becoming a pagan part of the world. And guess where Jesus heads? That's exactly where he heads. To a people living in darkness. They don't have the word of God like the Old Testament people did. They don't have the prophets. They don't have all this history to draw upon. They're following, in this region, a a, a pagan religion. It's darkness. Verse 16, people dwelling in darkness. the Galilee of the Gentiles. Gentiles meaning the region of the Sea of Galilee there where people that don't know anything about Yahweh live. They don't have the promises of God. They're not believing them by faith and living in light of them. So in that sense, that's why it says in verse 16, those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Jesus is the light. Okay? So here's the big point. Jesus goes head first into where the darkness is. He could have gone south to Jerusalem where all the religious elite hang out. He didn't do that first. He will do that eventually. He doesn't do that first. First, he goes where the darkness is. He goes where the darkness is. If you're on a mission to rescue people living in darkness, you just make sense. You have to go where they are. I watched a a documentary, very powerful, very um, challenging to watch recently, about November 15th, um, I'm sorry, November 13th, 2015. And it was the terrorist attacks in the city of Paris. And a lot of you remember, uh, they shot up a bunch of cafes, a bomb went off outside the the big national stadium during a soccer game, and then where there there was the most casualties was in a, a crowded theater during a rock concert, and they opened fire. And dozens and dozens of people were killed within seconds. And I remember watching the documentary and hearing all these testimonies from the emergency workers, firemen, policemen, paramedics, and when they're streaming to, to to seek to save into the heart of where this is happening, you know they didn't just stay on the periphery where there might be people that maybe got a little injured when they were running or maybe they turned an ankle. You know, as they're trying to get out of the theater, or they fall down and skin their knee. You know, those people need help, but where where are those aid workers, where are they going right away? They're going headfirst into that theater. They don't know what they're going to find. They don't know what's going to happen, right? But in order to save, they had to go into the heart of the darkness. They had to go where the darkness is. It just kind of makes sense. But in the same way, that's how Jesus is. That's what we learn in this text. He doesn't fear the darkness. He doesn't retreat from the darkness. He doesn't have an air of superiority over the darkness. No, he goes head first in the darkness on a mission to save. You with me? What did he say? He said, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Sin is dark. Jesus goes headfirst into where the darkness is. And so here's my thought for us. If we are his followers, if we're being recreated into the image of Jesus Christ, that's what the Bible says, Romans 8, then we follow him into the darkness as well. Like get this. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the New Testament shows us. And the New Testament also shows us that those that choose to follow him in repentance and faith are also filled with the Holy Spirit. So if he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he goes headfirst in the darkness and we're filled with the same Holy Spirit, then it would stand to reason that we're not going to stand back in fear or be overly aggressive with like some swagger of superiority But we're going to enter into the darkness with him like he enters as a servant, willing to save, willing to set aside preferences for the sake of salvation. We follow him into the darkness as well. So here's the question. Where is that in your life right now? Where could you follow Jesus Into a darkness, into a dark place that needs the light of a city set on a hill. That needs the light of the Holy Spirit. Where is that place for you? Is there something that God has laid on your heart? And if nothing's coming to mind, maybe it's just a great opportunity to stop and just pray and ask. And I know, biblically speaking, for a fact that God loves to answer that prayer. Like, God, show me, where can I go with you into the darkness? He loves to answer that prayer. Now, some of you, when I raise this issue about joining Jesus by going headfirst into the darkness, a lot of us can feel like a little bit of, like, resistance right away. Like, I got a lot on my plate. Don't make me feel guilty. I got enough things to do. Like, and, and we can be prone to feeling pressure. We can be prone to feeling like, I got this to-do list. I got to check all these boxes, and, and Zach's up here, and he's going to give me another one. Let me just remind you what it means to be a member of a local church. This one or any other church that loves God and his word and his people and his mission. Like, just remember that if you are vitally engaged in the life of this church as a member meaning like you're not going to stand on the sidelines, you want to get in the game. You're not going to be the wallflower Christian, but you're actually going to participate at the dance. You know what I mean? If that's you, and if you're a member of this church, that is you, man, we are already doing this. Let me remind you, we are already doing this. So as a church, collectively, as a church family, we're seeking to walk with Jesus headfirst into the darkness through planting churches, right? Madison has a need to be reached. There's thousands and thousands of people in this city that don't know Jesus. And we have a vision that if we can keep multiplying churches such that maybe someday, you know, maybe in our lifetime, there's a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, community-embracing, missional church within a mile of every single doorstep in Madison. Wouldn't that be amazing? Proximity to actually seeing the Holy Spirit alive in people. Not just hearing about it. No, There's like this thing actually happens in my neighborhood and I know people that go to that church and what they're doing is beautiful. That's kind of a vision that we have. Keep planting churches in Madison. And that's why we do it because we want to go like, because we're filled with Jesus' spirit, we want to do what he does. He goes headfirst in the darkness. This is why we plant churches. And so a lot of you in this room are members of this church and you're on board. You've said, in terms of a covenant, a fellowship, I'm on board with this. And you proved it two weeks ago when we called for your giving to Redeemer certain church to help them with their building. And you guys responded in beautiful ways to almost $15,000 like that. And that's beautiful. So don't leave here feeling guilty like I got another thing to do. Just remember who you are if you're a member of this church. We also do this in our city groups. If you're a member of this church, we call you to be in a city group. And one of the mandates of being a city group is to serve Again, like Jesus, he says, I didn't come to, to, uh, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The identity of a Christian fundamentally in some sense is that of a servant. And so we call us in community, in our city groups, to figure out a place where there's needy, where there's marginalized people, and we're going to engage there. And so if you're a member of this church and, and, and you're giving and you're praying and you're participating, you're already doing this. So be encouraged. This is who you are. This is who you are. That's our collective kind of corporate identity. But let me ask you just one more question. Is there maybe something for you individually where you feel like there's something unique in how God has wired you in the places where he's placed you where there's a unique darkness that you can enter into? Where is that? Is it in your family? Is it in your neighborhood? Is it in your workplace? Like where is it? Where is that spot? The text says that he goes to where there's a shadow of death. Where's their shadow of death in your sphere of relationships? How can you bring the presence of God there in word and deed? Some of you are already doing it in beautiful ways. We say, just keep going. Just keep going. Some of you are thinking of something right now that you feel like God has laid on your heart. And maybe you're not engaging because of fear. Maybe because it just feels like, man, it's just a stretch in terms of my comfort zone. I don't know if I can stretch that far. And we just want to say, go for it. Go for it. Jesus promises to be with you by his Spirit. He's not going to give you more than you can handle. You might feel like it's more than you can handle in the moment. But that's just welcome to Christianity. He's with you in it. So we just want to challenge you to go for it. Some of you are called to the nations. When you hear me talk about reaching the nations, your heart kind of goes pitter-patter a little bit. Um, There's a young woman, Ruby, at our church right now who's seeking to engage in a more significant commitment in uh, where we partner in North Africa. It's beautiful. She's believing by faith to go for it. There is a darkness. I'm gonna be there in two weeks, and I've been there a lot. There's a darkness in the culture of Islam that's a prison. It's an absolute prison. And we come as a city on a hill saying, the light of Christ cannot be hidden. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will hear and we want to get on board with what Jesus is already doing by his spirit. There's some of you in this room that might need to respond to that. Jesus doesn't call you to your comfort zone. He calls you to join him wherever he's going. And that's where you're going to find joy. That's where you're going to find peace. That's where you're going to find meaning. The center of the will of God is the safest place you'll ever be. Comfort zone, that's a dangerous place to be, Ultimately. Some of you aren't going to go across the ocean, but you just need to go across the street. There's darkness in your neighborhood just across the street. And just inviting someone into your home just to get to know them. And one conversation leads to the other. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, so it's going to come out sometime that you love Jesus. We'll talk about that in a second. Some of you just need to cross the street. Where is that for you? Neighbors, nations, let's do it. And I want you to see something, though, real quick, just as a grace-filled reminder Like when Jesus goes headfirst in the darkness in these places, they weren't asking him to come. And it probably wasn't super comfortable for him. And it's easy when we enter into places that aren't super comfortable, when we enter into places that aren't easy, it's easy to despise the darkness and not seek to engage in service and love. But Jesus is filled with grace. He goes to where the greatest need is, whether they're asking him to come or not. And and Jesus came to us when the Bible says we were children of wrath. And he came, and the Bible says he made us alive together with Christ. That was all of grace. He came into our darkness when we weren't asking him to come. And he made us alive together with Christ. So that posture of grace, let that remind us as we enter in with him. It's easy to despise the darkness. But what's truly unique is seeking to engage in love and service and blessing. Well, when Jesus goes headfirst in the darkness, what does he do? What's the message that he brings with him? Well, look, it's real simple, verse 17. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, let's just get this, break this down real, real simple. Jesus, it says there, I'm not making this up, it says that he had something to say, right? He had something to say. So it doesn't say Jesus began to just show up and do good deeds and love people into the kingdom. That's not what it says. He did a lot of good deeds, and he showed a lot of love, right? But just take note that when Jesus begins his ministry, it's never less than a speaking ministry. The Christian faith moves forward with words, deeds absolutely as well. But, but it's never gonna be just deeds. It's gonna be words that come out of our mouths. If we're following Jesus and we're filled with his spirit, we're gonna do it like he does, so he comes with grace and truth, and it's spoken out of his mouth. Right? Now, a lot of times our culture doesn't like this, and it's interpreted as arrogance. And hey, make no mistake, there's a lot of arrogance in the Christian culture that we need to deal with, okay? So it is possible, and I've been offender number one. I've been very arrogant in how I've communicated truth at times in my past. I do not want that to be my future. So it's possible to have people reject you and hate you because you're just an idiot. That's possible, right? But it's also possible that you come with grace and truth and gentleness and winsomeness and you do everything perfectly and they still hate you. Like Jesus, right? So let's just manage our expectations a little bit when it comes to our words that we say. The essence of it is going to be this. At some point, This is going to have to get spoken. It doesn't have to be this as a script, but it's got to be this somehow, because this is kind of the core of what it means for anybody to become a Christian. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Repent, for the kingdom of God is among us. One way to think about this would be, what's your authority? Jesus comes on the scene and he says, in me is the ultimate authority. The kingdom of God is the ultimate authority. It's not the kingdom of U.S. politics. It's not the kingdom of your boss at work. And get this, it's not the kingdom of yourself. That's where all of us reign. We love that throne. And we love the edicts that reign from on high. As I sit on my throne and want to practice self-determining autonomy over and over again. How are you going to tell me what to do? I'm going to do my thing. I will not submit. I'm not going to serve you. I'm going to be, dude, that runs deep in in my brain, in my bones. That's human nature. We're not going to listen to somebody outside. I'm only going to listen to whatever's in here. And Jesus comes and says, guess what? There's a different authority. There's a different ruling and reigning, and it's my kingdom. And it's here. You know why? Because I'm here. And where I am, that's where the kingdom is. Where I reign by my Holy Spirit, church, that's where the kingdom is. And the Christian claim is just this. Jesus is king of the world. And he said at the end of Matthew that we're going to see in a number of months, all authority in heaven and on earth is given given to me. That's a huge claim. And this is just another way of saying that. Repent for the authoritative kingdom of King Jesus is here now. So then what's the response? The response is repentance. The response is repentance. And that just means turn away from the silliness of you ruling from on high on your tiny little kingdom of your own heart of self-determination and autonomy. Forget that. It's foolishness. Forget that silliness. And repentance means turning towards the authority of King Jesus. Forget your way, your old way of doing things. It's not working out. It leads to hell and turn towards Jesus where there's life, living water that actually satisfies. That's the essence of what Jesus communicates. Now he does it differently all the time. You look at Nicodemus, you look at the woman at the well, you look at um, the rich young ruler, you look at how he talks to his disciples, you look at how he talks to the the, the, the Pharisees, he, he does it different every time. And we should, as we engage the darkness with, with words and with deeds, it's going to sound different every time through nuance and relationship. Very, very normal. But at some point, if it never comes out that there is an authority that calls for a response, solidified and made absolutely true by the cross and the resurrection as a historical fact, that, that news that you can have your sins be forgiven and live a life of joy and peace and life and forgiveness. And it starts with repentance. Like if that message never comes out, there's just no entering in with Jesus on his mission. Like at some point those words have to get spoken, right? That there is an authority that's not you and he calls you to repentance. Repentance. Like, however creatively we want to get at it is awesome based on your gifts and your talents and your relationships. But at some point, it's got to, never, it's got to be, at minimum, repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand. Because that's just how Jesus started the whole deal. It's an announcement. It's an announcement. So Jesus is the king. He rules from the cross, solidified, ratified by the resurrection and his ascension. And so here's the essence of what it means for us to live on mission. We're gonna do it in a thousand different creative ways, but this is the essence. We're gonna go to where the darkness is. We're gonna tell them about the true king and the response that we're calling for in ourselves and for those that we're speaking to is turn from sin, trust in King Jesus. And as you do that, John chapter 7 promises that from that comes rivers of living water that never run dry. Let's pray. Father, would you help us live in light of your word? Would you help us respond as we should? We thank you so much for what you're doing in us through it. And may it continue in this church and every other church around this world that um, recognizes your authority and comes to you for the sake of our joy and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.